Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 27. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm back, John. Back to feeling like a human again. I want to make sure our listeners know that we're both VMware solution engineers looking to bring you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Uh, this week, we have a really fascinating uh, interview. It's with Ramsey Marjaba, and he is the host of the We the Sales Engineers podcast. It's a pretty amazing resource um, for those of you who are already in the business um, or for those who are maybe in IT ops like our audience who maybe want to break into the business of being a sales engineer, systems engineer, solution engineer, whatever you happen to call it. Um, We happen to be uh, recent guests. Uh, This is about a month ago on episode 41, a new and inexperienced, new and experienced perspective of sales engineering. Um, And I should point out that on this interview that I had to fly solo. As you were pretty sick. I was over being sick and you were in the middle of it, right? So I guess uh, now we know where you draw the line. Uh, hacking up along on mic, something you didn't want to do. Yeah, you can only mute yourself so often before people can't understand you. And I really couldn't think clear enough to formulate a sentence. So it was probably better that way. But I have to say, man, I really like the way Ramsey interviews people. He's, he's really good at asking questions and giving fa- feedback in the same breath. He's a really smart dude. And I would say to listeners out there, if you haven't met Ramsey or listened to his stuff, he's built a great body of work. I mean, he's built an entire community behind him of things just for sales engineers. And even though it's catering more toward the SE demographic and the sales process, Pretty much anybody under the umbrella, under the IT or technology umbrella, can benefit from the lessons that his guests are sharing with us, don't you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. In fact, I think that if you are in IT operations and are in any position uh, in the purchasing chain of any of the tools that you actually use, if you um, influence uh, purchasing, if you are have a budget and you purchase products, it, it always behooves you to understand what the sales process looks like from the other side. And a lot of times you're going to be dealing with salespeople, but also you're going to be dealing with sales engineers. And it always makes sense to know the mindset of the person that's uh, sitting across the table from you, um, to have empathy for what, you know, what it is that they're trying to accomplish and to, to best have that, you know, interaction. So both of your, um, uh, you know, goals are aligned um, but you don't know what their goals are unless you, you know, listen to what it is they're going through. So um, it's a really, really good listen. Just real quick. So you totally made me think of a line from The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise where uh, Chow Yun-Fat says his goal is to know his enemy. That sounds uh-huh. so much like what we're trying to do here <laughs> when you're talking about the purchasing person. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because, you know, traditionally purchasing and sales are, you know, looked upon as like, you know, um, across the table instead of, you know, having mutual goals and and the entire process, you know, looks and feels adversarial um, instead of a collaborative. And uh, and I think that's a, that's maybe a problem. Right. So <laughs> maybe if, uh, he can help uh, get away from that and and, uh, and we can uh, chip in on that process, then uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be doing the world a, a, um, a benefit. Right. Um, it's all although, about education. Yeah. Now, now I'm wondering if Chow Yun-Fat was actually in that movie because I don't remember him in it, but regardless check out check it out man we'll put a link in the show notes okay of the clip all right. all right um one of the things that one of my immediate reactions was <laughs> you know when i started listening to the podcast was oh he's doing the podcast that i didn't have the courage to do right i was like you know when we were coming up with like a thesis idea for this podcast i was like well you know we're sales engineers solution engineers systems engineers you know, the titles changed over time, but, you know, really what is it that, um, you know, we can bring to the table? Do we want to build a community of other SEs um, or, you know, should we focus on career development for people to, you know, hopefully uh, build a path to better jobs? And, um, you know, one of the things that I think you'll probably notice over and over again is that we are using our SE roles and the paths that we took as kind of a model because it's what we know personally and it's who we know, right? Um, so I, just looking back, I go, hmm, you know, maybe I just didn't have the courage to say, well, why don't we just go all in on just being all about the SE business and, um, and you know, getting better at that and, and interviewing people um, and becoming uh, better at the job. Yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, and another thing, I just wanted to talk briefly. He recommended a great book during the interview, which I wanted to talk about, you know, just very briefly before we get into whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, hang on now, John. This is not the Cliff Notes version of the interview here. People came to listen to hear the whole thing, so maybe we should give them that opportunity. Ah, okay, good point, good point. Um, rather than me going on and on about it, um, setting context and then talking about the content, yeah, let's uh, go directly to the interview. So here it is, our interview with Ramsey Marjaba. Welcome, Ramsey. Thanks for joining us. Uh, can you start off by telling us your position and what you do today? Uh, we can talk about your journey, how you got there later on. Sure thing. Well, I'm happy to be here. I've been a fan of your show. Um, my name is Ramzi Marjaba. I'm a sales engineer at Keysight uh, Technologies, and uh, I'm based out of Ottawa, Canada. And I focus on selling uh, test equipment for uh, uh, networking gear. So, like, mm -hmm. I help people test routers, LTE, EPC core stuff, and uh, security mainly. Very cool. Now, uh, you're the host of the We the Sales Engineer podcast. Can you tell me about the the, the origin of that that show? Like, what um, uh, got you to to start it? The idea of starting it in the first place. We the SE started as a necessity for me because I've been uh, before I joined Keysight. I was with a different company. I was a uh, sole SE in my territory. wasn't interacting with a lot of other SEs. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I wasn't really doing a good SE job. 
I was making quota, but uh, I wasn't. I didn't have a handle on the SE trade, if you will. Uh, and I figured the best way for to get people, random people, to talk to me is by having a podcast and you know inviting them on. That way, they can share uh, their knowledge with uh, more than one person. I don't know how much more, but at least more than one. Uh, and you know, it, it went from there. Yeah, so so broaden that impact radius, and then actually get to talk to people who are a little bit like high powered in the industry, right? Yeah, uh, like uh, through the podcast, I've reached people which I would never have reached. I've actually learned that there are some people that exist that actually help SEs. Like uh, there is a bunch of trainers, uh, John Care, Brian Giri, a, a bunch of them that otherwise I would not have access to. They actually spent like an hour with me chatting about sales engineering. So it's been a good uh, opening for me. Yeah, that John Care uh, episode was a terrific one. Um, I've been a fan of his for quite a while. Um, and uh, I'll make sure and link to that one uh, specifically, but uh, maybe some of the others that you mentioned as well. Sure. Um, what has been your your the evolution of your understanding of the role of sales engineer as you've done the done the podcast? I'm, I'm guessing that your idea of it, you know, has evolved over time. Well, my idea has evolved before I even started the podcast. Uh, it's just how to do it. That's where the podcast came in. So when I first started as a sales engineer, I just thought I was a resource that can answer questions to customers and show them how to use our equipment. Uh, but as I progressed, I learned that my job is way more than that. My job is to actually uh, understand what the problems they have. So I'm asking the questions and then uh, offering a solution to their problem versus them coming to me and asking me, how do you do this? How do you do that? What's this product do? So and that's where uh, my evolution came. And then how I can do that stuff, like how do I ask the questions? For example, I had the gentleman, um, uh, Peter Cohen, who wrote a great demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, he came on, he wasn't on the podcast, but he wanted me to do a demo for him. And I thought I was doing great. And then I asked him one question, another question, another question. And he looks at me, he's like, that's a leading question. Don't do that. <laughs> right, like, that's not something that custo- a customer would tell you, right? Uh, so that's what I'm learning through the podcast. Right, right. Did you say that you you have or have not done an episode with Peter Cohen? It wasn't uh, an episode. It was more of a Zoom recording. Uh, okay, where I did the demo, I recorded it. So I, I basically I recorded myself doing a demo to Peter and have him uh, critique me. Uh, I haven't had the chance to edit it. Uh, and so that I can put it on YouTube or whatever, or make it into a podcast, but it is in the works and hopefully I'll get to it this year, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, he, he was uh, very generous in his time. He's even willing to do a podcast if uh, I find that the YouTube recording isn't good enough. Cause you know, when you see something visually and then you talk about it or you put the audio in a, in a podcast format, I'm going to say, look here, look there. People will not say and understand what I'm saying. So I'm going to look at that, see if I can actually make it into a coherent podcast. If not, he'll be, he's, he's happy to join me again for a podcast. Nice, yeah. His stuff definitely does have uh, visual cues involved and, um, uh, it is a big part of his, uh, his philosophy even right. Uh, um, 
I agree. To, to shorten things, and you know, he does motions and moves things around with his hands, and, and uses props even. Well, and it's uh, the simplest, really smart guy. The simplest thing that he did on the podcast, uh, or like not on the podcast, when I was doing the YouTube video, was he told me, "Take your mouse, take it to the edge of your screen, ask if someone can see it, or who or the viewer can see it." Yes, then move it to the other end of the screen. So you just created a frame for your uh, viewer to actually look, and you made sure that he actually sees. Don't just say, hey, can you see my screen? Because almost everybody would say, yeah, sure. But Mm -hmm. not the edges. So that was a good tip, and I wanted to share it. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, So you talked about this this evolution that you've uh, understood about how to do it. Like, how does that fit in within the, the... sales organization that you've uh, maybe more than one that you've that you've been in uh, do you see that role like uh, changing from organization to organization like how, how does that fit in how do you integrate with with those sales people I think the role the SE can make of the role whatever he wants there is a job description that uh, they're attached to it for example in my previous company I was just pre-sales I didn't do I, was, I should not have done any post-sales work, although I wanted to do that to build a relationship with the customer. But in general, that was not part of my job description. Uh, in, my, in the new company, pre-sales engineers also do post-sales. So the job description changed. But as an SE, you can you provide more value, I believe, if you have some skills that overlap with the account manager. Uh, in terms of asking the right questions, in terms of finding new leads, in terms of getting updates on opportunities. A lot of uh, customers are more willing to give you updates than they're willing to give the account managers, depending on the relationship that you've uh, built with them. So it's that relationship building. Yeah. Those those are the types of skills that you need to, that that overlap with account managers, right? Yeah, uh, asking the right questions. Uh, Well, so the account manager has his own set of questions that he should be able to ask. And when it comes to technology, SEs should build their own set of questions. Uh, they might overlap a little bit with the account manager. It's just the way we ask the questions. That could be a skill that could be used by account managers and SEs. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I to- totally understand that. Um, is there a way that like, you look back upon what you've done now with kind of 2020 hindsight that you could have maybe acquired those skills and, and filled those gaps, even recognize the gaps that were there a little bit earlier or faster? It's tough uh, because I was the only SE in my territory. It was hard to understand, and like my my role models, uh, like I only, the only person I had to look up to learn from was my experienced account manager, and all he did was pray and pray. So it really wasn't a good uh, uh, like uh, lead. Uh, what I should have done possibly was ask my manager to shadow. Uh, SEs that he knows are good at what they do um, because I'm far at least attend some WebExes or Zooms, whatever you guys use uh, to listen in on uh, discovery calls and demos uh, just to understand what they do What I came in and I didn't have a mentor my mentor quit two months after I started I had nothing to do with it, it was his choice uh, and uh, likely story, yeah that's my story and I'm sticking to it uh, so I didn't really have anybody to lead me in the right direction. And I did not take ownership of developing my skills. I was so much in a hurry to learn the technology and the product 
that I forgot about the SE skills, which is kind of half of your job. So, yep. And actually in the title, right? Well, it depends which, uh, which company you work for. But yes, most <laughs> companies, it's sales engineer. Right. Um, now, what about that? Let's maybe take a step back and, and talk about the journey. Like, were you a customer of the technology that you first became an SE for? Um, what was your, your, your background heading into that? Uh, I graduated in communications engineering, and I worked for Alcatelucent, which is now Nokia, as a support engineer, and uh, later on as a network design engineer. As a support engineer, I used the technology because... Uh, like the equipment that I sell today is used by support engineers and testers to try to either reproduce issues or try to debug their their products. So I use the product like that. And I also worked for like the top customer of the company that I moved to, which is how like it gave me a good advantage over other people who are applying to that job. Makes sense. Yeah, I understand that. And then what about that, you, the transition to becoming an SE? Um, did you, something that, that Nick's mentioned before um, is this idea of joining uh, what's well, basically a sales organization, right? Even as a technical resource. Um, did you feel yourself losing touch with the hands-on technology? Did you feel yourself losing credibility with customers over time maybe because of that? Because you're not, like your day-to-day -day job is no longer you know, installing, debugging, you know, d doing those types of those things. To an extent, um, the thing about, so when I moved to, from uh, network design to SE, first off, I didn't even know what SE was. I didn't know what I was applying for to. And uh, like when, during my interview, my manager was asking, hey, what will you do if your RSM did this or RSM did that? And I had no idea what an RSM was. And I'm like, uh, I guess I'll be nice to him and ask him, politely not to do what he just did and i had no idea what it was uh, i learned a little bit more about it so there was a transition in the sense that i didn't know what sales was and as far as uh losing my technical abilities frankly most of my customers are more highly technical than i am for example one of my customers uh previously was cisco and cisco writes standards for technologies and then and then my company takes those standards and provides them something to use to test their own equipment, which means they wrote the standard. And then before we're even ready, before I even receive training, I have to sell them that stuff. So my credibility came from the fact that I worked with them. Uh, I tried to help them as much as possible. I didn't know the technology. I didn't lie about knowing the technology but I was able to get the resources they needed to answer all the questions that they want. And I am a generalist SE, which means I work on a broad portfolio of products, which is like, basically we sell uh, layer two, layer three networking stuff, which, and then we sell security stuff. Uh, we sell layer four, layer seven, which means like application HTTP testing, that sort of thing. We sell LTE testing. We sell wireless testing, so I'm not gonna know everything. I already know that, but I know uh, what problems my products solve, how how it can make my customers' lives better, and who to get in touch with to for a quick response about a technical problem. 
you mentioned something there that I'll react to, which is um, just because you don't have technical um, capability, you know, that is equal to or better than your customers, that doesn't mean that you don't have relationship credibility. Yeah. And and maybe it's a different type of thing that you build up. And I didn't really think about the, you know, two different categories before. Uh, well, you just uh, articulated it and now I'm thinking about it. So I didn't think about it either. We just discovered something on the call. Yeah, that's maybe that's part of the job. Yeah. You hear somebody say something, and then you you say it back to them, and then you both. Uh, you're a genius. You just came up with something. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. So, um, do you ever miss like that that role of support engineer? No. Um, no. No. I, I love I love sales engineering. It's uh, it's such a different role, and it's opened up many opportunities for me and it's actually i think it's the best job ever you're paid uh based on your performance as in as much as you sell versus how as much as your boss thinks you're worth uh the reason i left my previous company not like uh, i moved from network design to sales engineering is because i was doing the job of a senior person and I was getting paid as a junior engineer. Mm. And no matter how much I work overtime, no matter how many pro projects I finish, like I worked on millions of dollars worth of pro uh, projects in like six months versus some of my colleagues who weren't working as much and we were getting paid the same because we were in the same role. As a sales engineer, you sell more, you make more. And I get to develop relationships with, like I'm not in my own bubble in my own echo chamber i learned from a lot of different people i learned from my customers i sit with my customers tell them hey uh you just worked on this protocol i'm interested in learning about it and that happens after developing a relationship obviously can you tell me about it can you teach me about this and they, they're happy to teach you so i'm exposed to more stuff in sales engineering which is why i love it interesting let me maybe try to echo that back to you one of the things that you like about what you're doing now is the variety that comes from working with different organizations and different customers. So that's one aspect. Of yes. It. Okay. And then another aspect is having part of your compensation be uh, really like directly tied to um, positive performance. So you perform and you get paid more and there's no, nobody around you who can just like change a dial or say, Oh, actually your, your management objectives are actually slightly different this, this week than they were last week or in the afternoon as opposed to the morning. Well, they can do it every year, but not every day. Once they, once they set your compensation package, your compensation package is set. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, as part of my old company, they changed the way they compensated, but my, my compensation for example uh they paid less on uh support renewals versus new product sales so they do these changes depending on how the company is doing but in the end your compensation you have this amount that you're you can make if you do well right but it, it's very it seems it's it's more metric driven and it's and it's not changing week to week month to month as opposed to uh like a kind of a desk job in an office with a manager where the manager should kind of p almost picks a number out of a hat or just can play favorites yeah. right? and say, well, I don't like you. So you're not getting a raise this year. That's right. Got it. Okay. Um, 
any advice that you can think of for people who are kind of walking that path that you're thinking of? And, and let me generalize it a little bit. They're in a situation where they're unhappy. They don't feel like they're being appreciated or valued by the organization that they're working in. They are in a technical position. Um, they have like some prerequisites maybe to be an SE, um, but, you know, or to just get a different role, right? Um, they're, they're ambitious. They, they want to change. What are the things that the, the pieces of advice that you can offer them that would maybe, you know, kind of stimulate them to actually do those things? All right. How much time do we have? <laughs> we have as much time as, as you want to boil that down to. All right. Well, the first thing, if I hope that you start looking for a new job, before you're very unhappy with your current job. Hmm. But let's say you are currently unhappy with your, your job. Step number one, fix up your resume, meet new people, start applying to jobs that you think are interesting. If you don't know what jobs are interested out there, talk to people, connect with people on LinkedIn, go on Reddit, check out websites, do some research. The thing is that finding a new job takes time. And you're going to have to really apply to like dozens, if not more jobs online or through people, you know, to find the job that you want. So my advice is within your current job, while you're applying to new jobs, do something that you would enjoy. That's extracurricular. As in, if you're in support, like I was, and your job is to support customers, you want to move to a sales engineering job and part of it is presentation start doing presentations or training to you to your team something that you enjoy doing or start setting up like uh whatever like once a week during lunch hour uh like a demo where you can something that you can learn one you're taking initiative which means you're gonna do hopefully uh sorry you're gonna be recognized better in your current role by your current manager Two, you're practicing on your skills, whichever are needed for your new job. Third, you're not hating your job. So that's that's the main advice I would give for your current job and then apply to as many positions as possible. Whether you, oh, here's another advice. Uh, people don't practice interviewing. We do mm. interviews maybe once every three years if we're not job hopping or once every 10 years, some people. Right. So even if there's a job you don't like, apply to it. Because worst comes to worst, you'll get an interview and you'll practice doing your interview. You, when you practice in your interview, be respectful to the other person, obviously. So that way you can build a relationship with the other person, the pe person interviewing you, and you're practicing your interviewing skills or yeah, practicing your interviewing skills. And if you get the job, you can politely decline it, or you might actually like it and take it. And it can prepare you for your next interview with the company that you want to work for. Right, right. I think that's good enough. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that, that process of um, distinguishing between uh, a company that you don't want to work for and a company that you do want to work for? Is there, is there a process that you've personally gone through to uh, identify the types of companies or the types of roles that you would want? Well, there are some companies that, uh, like, the technology is not interesting to me. So I know ahead of time that maybe I don't want to work for that company. 
but I applied to a few companies. I even got to the final uh, final like interviews, and I started enjoying talking to people there. So I almost changed my mind. It's just technologically I wasn't a good fit, uh, mm-hmm. which they recognized and I recognized, and we left. We parted ways amicably. Uh, there are other in, others where I found out during the process of the interview that I don't want to work for these guys. I just did nine interviews with them, and I'm no closer to knowing if I am getting the job or not. So if I ever ask for a raise, how long will that take? Right? Uh, so, like, yeah, you, one, I use your gut feeling to, if there's something interesting, go for it. If it's not interesting, still apply just know that you might not want to take the job. You have to politely decline. Right, right. This this actually just popped into my mind. And um, one thing I've noticed uh, is that um, I advise people to judge their interview process and the, the way that human resources treats them and the hiring manager treats them in that initial selection process as an indicator of the culture of the company and how they're going to be treated on the team, which is, I think, something that you just referenced. Is that, like, how fair do you think that actually is? Um, I, I The only reason I ask is, you know, as I think about it, I think a lot of, like, recruiters are maybe contractors that are just getting paid on, you know, placements. Um, and hiring managers, you know, don't necessarily have, you know, 100% of their attention to um, focus on, you know, the, you know, people acquisition, even though that maybe should be a major part of their job. I, I, I don't know how fair that is. I, I, I advocate, you know, judging companies that way, but I'm not sure how fair it is. I think it's fair. I bypassed the recruiter. The recruiter couldn't give mm-hmm. me information. If I ever emailed the recruiter, he would have to go to the hiring manager anyways. So I just mm-hmm. developed a relationship with the hiring manager. The speed that they hire and give you information, information, that's not even a word, information uh, in shows how interested they are in you, right? If they're, so the the process that I went through, I had another opportunity at the same time and I was telling the manager, hey, I'm having another opportunity. Can we speed this up? Whatever. It's like, I, like we want to keep talking to you, but we can't speed it up. All right, well, the other opportunity came up and they snatched me like that. And I was way more valuable to that company than I was to this company. So, yeah, I can make that decision based on that. If you don't have any other opportunities and you want to go through it, just you can go through it. Like Nothing is going to happen. You can, in the end, make the decision to take it or not take it. And that, that's something that people don't understand that you have the power not to take the position. You're actually in a better negotiating position if you understand that you can choose to not take that offer instead of like taking every offer that's uh, that's on the table in front of you. Right. I think that's something that you only realize once you get into a sales position. Yeah. Is that is the power of negotiation and the power of of just saying no, right? The mm, that's not for me. It's, uh, you can also realize that if you have applied for multiple jobs and you know you can find another job. The, the big thing right. is if you think that you can never find another job, you're going to take the first offer that's in front of you. Right. It's, it's kind of like in sales. If, you're, if your funnel is dried up, you're going to run after every small opportunity. But if you have a healthy funnel, you can choose which opportunities to work on. Right. 
Are you actively um, referring people into the organization that you work for? Uh, not the organization that I work for, because right now there aren't any open, open opportunities. Uh, I, I guess I mean the, the company. Uh, like as in the company that I'm working for right now. Yeah, yeah. If there are any open opportunities, I would help people get the job. Yeah. So, so sorry, I, I didn't mean that actually. Uh, and let me clarify. Um, I've noticed that uh, when I refer people into the organization that I work for, sometimes there'll be a stall, right? And they say, "Hey, you know, we've really liked you. You know, even after a final interview, but there's a delay. We're not sure. We're trying to organize offers and blah blah blah." And then. So it didn't happen to me specifically, right? But I noticed that it happens to people that I refer into. And over time, I'm starting to think that maybe there's like this decoder ring for recruiters where they're saying, hey, we're trying to organize things. We're running into a little bit of delay. And it means you're in second place. Or, we, or they're you keeping know? their options open. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's it hasn't happened to anybody I've referred to in the past. But uh, like I've seen it happen to other people where you get to the final, everybody's happy, you did so many interviews, and now it's time for the decision, and the decision is not coming because someone's holding up the line. Either it's HR, or if you if people are making a decision by committee, so there's a hiring manager, a hiring manager's boss, another hiring manager that's interested, uh, and they can't make up their mind, it just slows things down. Maybe uh, you're in second place, but that's the thing that I was talking about earlier. Like, if they snatch you up really quickly, that means they value you. If they don't, and they're taking their time, so it wasn't as clear cut as yeah. uh, if they snatch you up. Yeah, and that could be because they don't value you, or that could be because you didn't prove your value. Right. Right. Yeah, I can see that. So um, I, I'm glad that you're tempering my uh, my cynicism of uh, uh, that must mean you're in, in second place, and that's the only thing that I can mean. Um, I'm I'm always uh, happy to have my mind open. <laughs> yeah, well, like if you're looking for optimism, you came to the wrong place. Uh, but it's uh, I, I'm more of a pragmatic person, so it could be that you're in second place. It could be that they're just slow. Right. And the best way to do it is to keep in touch with the with the hiring manager there's nothing wrong with following up with the hiring manager and right. because you need to know where you stand and if there's something else out there that you want to work on you have the right to work on that at the same time as a matter of fact you should be working on another opportunity before you close uh, uh the first one right like you you actually don't work for them they're not paying you anything and you don't actually have an obligation to them except to be professional and prompt in your personal replies, right? Exactly. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, that makes makes absolute sense. Um, so uh, what does a career arc uh, as an SE look like for you in, in, from your vantage point? Um, oh is, is there a path that is, you know, that you leave, uh, you know, the SE ranks? Is, is there a, a technical path for you, um, an individual contributor path? path do you only have the ability to go into management to, to get better are you talking about me personally or SEs in general um uh, either both 
So I like sales engineering. I like the skills. I also like helping people, coaching people become sales engineers. So either I, for me personally, I can either become an SE coach or I can become an SE manager or a team lead that I, where I can help other SEs. Uh, as for SEs in general, most of the SEs I know stay SE, remain SEs for the remainder of their lives. Uh, they just enjoy it that much. Uh, some folks who are more driven and uh, like want to make more money, move into sales, which may or may not backfire. Um, SE management, as I mentioned, is always a, 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 a possibility. I've people have told me that people can go into product management, but in my experience, product managers get paid less than SEs. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get paid less than SEs. So un- if the if you're willing to take a pay cut and work on a product that you enjoy, that's an that's an option. I've I've never seen it happen. I've only heard of one person to do it, but then he became the VP of uh, of product management. So it's not really a pay cut. You know, he was able to find his way up, like down right. and up, like through a valley and back up the hill. <laughs> so. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, when you say, uh, you said something interesting, which was, you know, something I've done before, which is like decomposing what it is that I'm looking for outside of a role and into a set of activities that I enjoy. So you enjoy coaching other SEs. Um, now, you know, the next step in that is kind of what are the roles that I can do in the future where I can continue to do that and maybe even have that be part of my compensation. You know, like SE manager might seem to be an obvious thing, but there but there are, you know, non-obvious places to keep on doing that. Yeah? Yeah, well, it depends on the company that you work for. Some companies have SE enablement teams where they go and teach you, but most of the teams that I saw that related to SE enablement is more about technology versus SE skills. Uh, generally speaking, you go outside of the company for SE skills. Like you go to John Care of Mastering Technical Sales or Peter Cohen like, or those famous people or at least famous mm-hmm. in our uh, industry to teach you how to become a better SE in terms of soft skills. Uh, within the company, I haven't seen that much. But then again, I've only been in two companies as a sales engineer. So what do I yeah. know? <laughs> well, you tell me, do you, do you guys have uh, SE enablement just related to soft skills or at least combination of soft and uh, technical skills? We definitely outsource um, SE enablement on things like soft skills and sales skills. You know, specifically, I think Peter Cohn is, you know, somebody's class who I took. Um, I don't think that the company I work for hired John Kerr. Um, more than once, uh, which is, you know, in my mind, doesn't make any sense. But, you know, hey, that I'm not in a position to, to be making those decisions. But, you know, other, other contractors have come in and taught classes. So I think my experience matches up with your experience. Now, on the sales side, I've noticed that, you know, they've hired people specifically to do things like become experts at value selling. And then it's like an internal resource who is a, you know, specific expert on, you know, a specific branded version of sales. Um, but I haven't noticed that in the SE ranks. And and maybe it's a whole, maybe it's because, you know, that role of SE is, you know, undervalued versus, you know, frontline salesperson. Uh, you know, there's a number of, of reasons why that could be. But 
I'm not sure why. The, the way I've seen it is, generally speaking, if uh, an SE is good with his soft skills, he's usually pushed into becoming a sales guy. <laughs> they don't stay SEs, although SEs that have both technical and soft skills are way more valuable, in my opinion, and cheaper than salespeople. Yeah, maybe shouldn't be cheaper. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm okay with it. They want to spend the spend their days running after quotes and uh, POs and all that. They can, by all means, I'd be happy for them to do it if I get uh, if I don't get uh, stressed out about it. Yeah, so, yeah. Pros and cons. Right. Have you had an evolution on your appreciation of the the distinction between you know frontline salesperson and an SE partner? There's there's a you know, kind of a trope that I notice in the SE industry, which is, you know, why do we even have salespeople? Like, I could do that. You know, uh, not that I agree with that. Yeah. It's I, just something I've heard. So I was in that boat where I can do it to the point where my sales guy was no longer my sales guy. And I decided I will do it. And I did it for four months and I hated it. And I went back to be an SE. So I do have an appreciation. It's, uh, there are things that happen that SEs do not see. It, like, it, how many times has this happened uh, to you? I don't know if it's actually happened, but how many times where you show up to a meeting, the sales guy introduces himself and then sits back and you do all the, you ask all the questions. Uh, right. So mm -hmm. this is what we see. And then we leave. We say, oh, that guy didn't do anything. And we complain about it. And then all of a sudden a PO shows up in our inbox as if it magically happened. No, like the sales guy, sure, he wasn't the best guy in the meeting, but he followed up after. He worked hard to get that PO. It doesn't just magically appear. Someone has to work for it. Yeah, and it's also um, kind of a magical skill sometimes to get the right person in the meeting with, right? Yeah. They, ident they identified the person who had the problem, aligned the, the solution that you're representing with the problem that that company and that person specifically has figured out that that person had the signing ability to get that done and then got you into that meeting. And then sure, maybe you're right. They weren't the best at introducing and setting context and things like that. But, um, all of those behind the scenes skills, you know, that hustle is, uh, is something that I don't necessarily want to do. Yeah, I, I definitely don't want to do it. I don't want to be calling customers. So here's the story. When I was the sales guy for like that short four-month period, at the end of the quarter, I had like three uh, POs lined up that I'm going to receive that day. And I received two of them. Uh, the day, like, let's say the quarter ends on the 31st, I got two of them on the 30th. So on the 31st, I called up my customer at 9 o'clock. Like, hey, man, are we we're still on? This is happening. Remember, the offer ends by the end of, like, by tomorrow or at the strike of midnight. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're on. I'll get it to you by noon. And then 15 minutes later, I get a call from my director saying, hey, did you call this guy? Like, yeah, I called him. Like, call him again. Like, what do you mean call him again? <laughs> I just called him. He said, I'll get it by, by noon. So, no, I'm not going to call him. Oh, yes, you are going to call. Okay, fine. I'm going to call. I didn't call him. And then by in another half hour, I get a call from the VP. Hey, you have this, uh, you have this PO in uh, Salesforce. Are you getting it? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's coming by noon. Call the customer and remind him. It's like, yeah, sure, okay. Right. Like, I don't want that. I, I like on the 31st to not hear from my account manager for me to be actually working with customers versus being stressed by the VP and the directors. So I enjoy what I do. 
That's funny. It just reminds me of something I tell all my account execs um, that I've ever worked with in the last two weeks of the quarter. I'll say, hey, you're not going to hear from me. Um, I'm not going to be like the, the eighth person to, to, to call you up and say, hey, how are things going with XYZ VO? But if you need my help, you know I'm here. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they have a bigger commission on the line. Like They really need that to close the to close the PO. And they're not children. So they don't mm-hmm. need the, the supervision from their boss and their boss's boss. But almost everybody has money tied up in that PO, so everybody calls. So yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be a sales. I don't like uh, that. Sounds so final. I, I'm gonna step back a little bit. I don't envision myself as being a salesperson anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I don't think that was a question though. That wasn't your question. You just said if I appreciate what they do. Yes, I do appreciate what they do. Now that I think about it. <laughs> well, I I uh, I ask specific questions, but I'm actually asking you to answer a different one. Okay. Well, I answer whichever <laughs> one I want. <laughs> that's very se of you yeah that's the, the, the expert interviewee yeah <laughs> answer the question that i wish you asked me yeah uh so hey i don't know i don't know if there's a good time to ask this question but i am curious about something and now i'm going to turn the table sure. on you um <laughs> this is something we discussed a little bit earlier before the call in your experience have you seen uh folks know what how to build their career know where they want to be uh like have a goal of where they want to retire have has anybody have you been exposed to that yeah so i think that in general we're pretty bad at career planning because it's something that we only do in emergencies which is something you touched on right and we don't even that's not really even career planning that's like emergency reaction that's firefighting as opposed to fire prevention and you know an architectural like fire suppression, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that um, there are a certain number of people in this world who have very linear careers. They go to school to become an electrical engineer because they want to be an electrical engineer, and then they want to be a you know a certified engineer, and then they want to maybe you know be the principal engineer at an organization, and then you know the VP of engineering, and then they retire. Yeah. And there's specific types of roles like that, lawyer, maybe doctor, you know, accountant. And and they're very predefined in our cultures and in society, right? And then there's almost every other job that's out there. Almost every other job that's out there and career paths that like interact with those jobs and, and overlap with those jobs. And so I think in society, we do a very bad job of teaching people to actually map out careers. So, I mean, it's one of the things that, you know, I'm kind of fighting in, in doing this uh, podcast to actually get people to think about it. We don't practice it. It, it, sometimes it feels like bad luck. Like, Oh, if I think about my next job, then maybe that will get me fired because, you know, I shouldn't be disloyal. Um, but you know, there's a, a number of, um, things that we're overcoming, you know, discomfort being number one, fear being, maybe actually number one, and then, you know, over and over again. And then I think the second thing that you asked about, which is, you know, oh, I want to retire at this age and and be able to do this. I think we're a little bit more comfortable with that. That's a little bit more like financial planning, right? So I can say, oh, I want to retire when I'm, you know, 58. I want to have, 
you know, a million dollars cash in the bank and, you know, be able to, you know, go on cruises uh, wherever and whenever I want. Okay, so I, you said a certain age, you said a certain amount of money. I mean, a lot of times people don't even have that in mind. Yeah. But then, you know, working backwards from that, it's, you know, at least there's people with titles that are, um, that exist to help plan us get there, you know, financial planner or, you know, personal finance guru, or, you know, there's, you know, books and, and, you know, four dummies books that can even help you get there. But the career part, um, there, you know, there's no certified career planner, you you know, that you can just sign up for a $150 consultation and you'll come out with this career plan. Right. Um, so it's a little bit, it's a lot more difficult. And I think that more people should be doing that. So just, I don't know, maybe it's me, but when I graduated university, I had, and I graduated with communications engineering, which is similar to computer or electrical engineering, if you want to lump it in that domain, I had no idea what jobs are out there for communications engineers. All I know that I did my internship was in software design. So I figured I'm going to be a software designer when I graduate. I didn't know there was product verification. I didn't know there was support. I didn't know there was network design. I didn't know what an SE was. I didn't know what they existed. Uh, I didn't know that I could work in operations. There are so many options that no one tells you about graduating university. And then once you get your first job, you're not even thinking about what your next job is. And I think uh, managers do really, I think good managers do whatever it takes to help you achieve the career you want. Like I'm not, if they're expecting uh, an engineer to work in that role for 20 years, then I don't know, maybe in this day and age, they're sadly mistaken. So it's delusional. Yeah. It's, it's in their best interest to train their engineers to whatever next step that they're going to do, because if they're doing that, the engineer is going to, while the engineer is working for that boss, he's going to do whatever it takes because he knows that boss has his best interest in mind as well. So I don't know, like, um, I think in that, that specific example that you talked about, um, that is can come from like a positive um, company culture, right? Where we know that the people that we're hiring are in high demand and they're high achievers, and the chance that they're going to do, you know, maybe what they're doing for like seven straight years isn't that great. Um, doing the exact same thing over and over again every single day. So what we need to do is to coach them in their careers and think about what it is that they want to do within our organization and point out a you know a career path um, that they can have within our organization, if that means, you know, changing roles and responsibilities. And at least we get to retain this talent, which, you know, we recruited at, at really high expense, right? And if it's a lot easier to recruit somebody from inside the company than it is to go outside the company and recruit them. So if if they stay, then we haven't lost the investment in them. And that's that's positive culture. But yeah, you know, not everybody has that. So I, I have I haven't seen that specific thing. Like for example, a story. Uh, the first job I was in, almost six people left the team that I used to work for around the same time, and every time one of us left, the manager was surprised because he was even the sixth time. Well, yeah, the because sixth time he was surprised. Well, yeah, like there's no way he's going to leave me now. Everybody else left. They're not going to leave me hanging, but they have no reason to stay. Uh, whereas if he helped them get their next job, 
like by providing training or giving them opportunity to get exposed to that job, I think he would have an idea of when they're about to leave and he would actually have them help uh, train the next person to take their position versus leaving them high and dry. Sure, I'll give you a two-week notice. Two weeks not going to tra- train anybody to do anything. And maybe I'm just like talking theoretical or like in a yeah. yeah but that's how i i see it and that's how i wish i was treated when i was yeah yeah well when i'm still working well i i think i mean i happen to work for a company where that's exactly what happened to me i mean my example not yours um where you know i think on you know as i was coming on you know the people were like well you do you want to do this for five years? Do you want to do this for seven years? You know, once you're inside, you know, we want you to know that, you, you know, there's a number of branching opportunities for you to, to you know, accomplish and, and, you know, a different number of paths for you to walk within this organization. You don't have to do, you know, this one job forever. And then even once we have, you know, you have the job, here's this technical path. You know, you don't have to become a manager. You can be, you know, I got hired as an SE and then, you know, I made, um, uh, senior SE, right? But it didn't end there. It was like, okay, you can, you know, as long as you have, I think Chad Sackage, who's a works for Pivotal now, um, I heard him talk about this inside uh, Dell EMC or EMC at the time. It's like, if you have the impact radius that a manager has in the industry, then maybe we should have a role for you that gets paid like a manager. And if you have the impact radius that a director has, then maybe we should have a title and a way to validate that that is the case and then pay you like a director. And then the same thing if you're a VP, right? So we have SEs within our organization who speak at our annual conferences, speak at the Dell conference, speak at the, you know, AWS conference who, you know, tour and, you know, are nerd famous is what I call it. (laughs) And, you know, have this, this huge impact in the industry, but they're not managers or individual contributors, but, you know, in our HR system, you know, we have um, policies that say, hey, you cannot book a first class ticket domestically unless you're a VP or a principal SE, you know, or principal. Yeah. You have a principal in your title, right? Oh, so that's nice. Yeah. So, in, in like you mentioned that they talked to you when you came in about the different paths. How many touch points have they, have you had with your manager about your next steps or what you're doing right now, if you're happy or not? Yeah, um, I would say at least once a quarter. Okay. Um, and I had a I had a manager who said, "Hey, in our one on ones, I want forty percent of the content in any given month to be about your career path." Okay. Um, so it, you know, and I was like, "Well, what about the stuff that you need?" And he was like, "Well, you know, if I need something, I'll call you." But yeah. in our one on ones, I want you know, I want it to be about the things that you need from me. Like the he didn't say it in these words, but like the the relationship power that I have with other managers and people within the organization that maybe I can lend you. Um, uh, again, he didn't say it that way, but that's, I think what he meant, you know, or, you know, discovery within organizations that you don't have insight into that I can, um, maybe leverage or my history with the customer that you are working on that maybe you don't know about. Um, so all those things were things like, you know, hey, we have a one-on-one every week, and it's really about me helping you problem solve, not about me telling you things to do. Nice. I like that because a lot of times 
one-on-ones are usually the boss giving you more work or less work. And then at the end, it's like, hey, you have something to talk to me. But generally speaking, bosses give you work all the time. They're not waiting for that once a week or whatever the touch point is to give you that information. One-on-ones should be to, to alleviate any concerns that the employee has. Especially since the way I see it, the employee is the manager's customer. That's how the manager should see them. The manager should want to keep them happy unless they're doing a crappy job then fire them. But if they're doing a good job, the manager's job is to keep the SE or the engineer happy so that he will continue to do a good job and not get disgruntled and then not move forward to a different position. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, you know, those touch points... it's difficult to be concrete about them. I think you're right about product management. I think that I think in the past five years has become a lot more formalized role with specific backgrounds that people are looking for and specific career paths like, Oh, you need an MBA and then you can be maybe product marketing manager for a while and help talk about pricing and packaging. And then you maybe get promoted into the product management role and then maybe become a product line manager and then a director of product management, you know, just this entire formalization that I didn't see even, like I said, four or five years ago. Yeah. I think it's a little bit harder to make that move now. I I think that depends on the company as well. Sure. Yeah. I haven't seen it in any of the companies that I've worked for. Oh, interesting. There's something to keep in mind. Sorry, I do have something to say about that. Just because you don't have a prerequisite doesn't mean you cannot apply for the job. Because you may have other things that will make up for that. Frontline experience. Yeah, frontline experience, <laughs> knowing how to talk to customer, knowing how to present so that the customer would buy versus train or just uh, do the spray and pray. Mm-hmm. These are all uh, things that you gain with experience and doesn't matter if you have a piece of paper that says you have an MBA. The MBA will not teach you that. At least I don't think. I haven't done an MBA. I don't know. But. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I can totally agree with that anyway. I mean, I I say that, you know, thinking to myself, yeah, you're right. I just said, oh, you know, I kind of disqualified myself from walking down that path because something that, you know, if I were to counsel somebody else to apply for a job, I would say, hey, you know, just because they, that's how they recruit doesn't mean that you shouldn't apply for it because, you know, they have like this ideal person in mind when yeah. they write the, the job description, right? And if, if you want to fulfill all the like checkpoints that are on the job description, there will never be a single SE because almost every company was wanted a senior SE with 10 years of experience and there's only so much of us. Uh, if nobody that doesn't have the experience applies to that, there will be no new SEs and will go extinct really soon. Very true. And I, I noticed that there's job descriptions and, you know, it says senior SE and really what the job description is for is somebody who's on the very upper edge of the range of senior SEs yeah. who might, you know, be almost about to take the next step out to, you know, whatever the next role or title is. And, and really, <laughs> And, and, uh, and it's too, and then the money that they're offering doesn't match the, uh, the actual job description that yeah. we're talking about. Uh, so when I applied to my first job as a sales engineer, I wouldn't, I, I did not have the qualifications that they were asking for. The major qualification that I had was that I worked with customers and I worked for their biggest customer and that's how <laughs> I got the job. 
Right. Even though right. they said they want five years of experience as a sales engineer. Yep. That, that, that is what I want. You know, what I want is uh, somebody who's already a sales engineer for my company that happens to be moving to the territory that, that I need covered. Yeah. Like just ship one of your own SEs from a different territory over here and then try to find an SE in that territory. Right, right. Oh, yeah. oh, this guy was was about to quit and move to Calgary, but now I have an SE opening in Calgary. So, uh, guess what? He's yeah. the <laughs> ideal candidate. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, Ramsey. Before we wrap out, I have. I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm going to. I'm going to uh, ask you a series of uh, lightning round questions for the the not so lightning round here on Nerd Journey. Okay. Um, uh, is there a particular tool that you find especially useful in managing your career? In managing my career, a piece of paper, generally speaking. Uh, I like to write stuff down. So I sit down, I pretend to meditate for a few minutes, realize that I don't know how to do that, and I just start writing down some like ideas of what I want to be, like brainstorming, just a brain dump, and then choose like what looks most appealing to me based on the information that I know now. There isn't really a tool for job planning or like career planning, I don't think. If there is one, I'd love to know about it. I think uh, time, attention, and a piece of paper and maybe a writing instrument sounds like pretty good. Okay. Pretty good combination. Good. How about a book or resource that you think that um, people in, in the technology field should definitely be reading. It doesn't have to be about a specific industry. Um, well, as a sales engineer, I think Mastering Technical Sales, if you haven't read that, that's a must. Um, there are so many books, and uh, I'm going to take this somewhere else. There's a book called Mindset I'm reading right now, which was uh, referred to me by a guest on my podcast. And it's all about like the capacity. People who believe they have the capacity to learn will learn. People who think they are born with a set of skills and intelligence or whatever, they will soon see that they've achieved the maximum they can achieve and quit. Uh, so, like, uh, so it's called Mindset by hmm. Carol S. Dewick, I think. There's so many books, man. There, um, yeah. Uh, if you if you're into leadership, I would say extreme leadership is a is a book that you should read by Jocko Willink, who's a Navy SEAL. How many books do you want? <laughs> That's good. There, I think uh, maybe if I can give you a homework assignment, it's to uh, create a, a book section in your uh, on your website because every uh, every guest uh, recommends a book. And then I think the last time I went to the website, I was like, oh, I'm sure he has like a, a section where every uh, book recommendation that somebody gave out is, is listed and there wasn't one. I, I, was, I, I don't have that. I don't have that, but I do have a book club with a list of 12 books that I'm reading over the year and sending out a book review at the end of the month. Ooh, okay. I'm joining. Well, you're I'm joining. Anytime, man. <laughs> do you have any uh, tips or tricks for time management that you could recommend? Uh, write everything down on your calendar book time on your calendar make sure that it's there otherwise your account manager will book over it if you work with account managers but make sure you have a time like let's say a customer emailed you a question uh you don't have time to look into it right now book a time on your calendar to look into it if you look into it can't find the answer 
and you want to send it out to the team or the product manager or whoever, send it out and then book a time on your calendar to follow up with that account manager. And it, nice. doesn't, like, it doesn't have to be set. Like, you can move it around. The whole point is for you to remember that you did that because I that's a big problem that I had where I'd send out an email to the PM or my team uh, about a certain question and then I forget about it. It's like, yeah, I did my job. And then a week later, my customer emails me. It's like, hey, did you look into this? I'm like, oh, crap. Now I have to go look what happened last. So everything right. you need to do, put it on your calendar. Make sure you have time set aside. Otherwise, you're going to have to work nights and weekends. <laughs> and then finally, what's the best career advice you ever received? Um, on my podcast, I asked that question to someone, and his response was, um, own your career. Um, and that's the best advice I've had, which was something we talked about. Don't let somebody else dictate your career. Don't just let it happen by accident. Um if you're hearing people yelling around, that's my wife and uh, children having fun. Uh, <laughs> if not, just edit this out. Never mind. Uh, so, yeah, like, be purposeful about your career. Nice. Nice. Ramsey, thank you for coming on. Nick and I really enjoyed being on your podcast as well. We're going to put a link to that episode and then just to the podcast in general so our, our audience uh, members can can go and find that. Just really appreciate your time and, and all of the, uh, the terrific stuff that you've uh, talked about as you've been on. It, it is my pleasure. I hope Nick feels better soon. I missed him a lot in this uh, podcast, but you did an amazing job uh, soloing this uh, episode. Um, and <laughs> I loved having you on and you guys are welcome anytime. Just let me know when you want. And I should really do something about the yelling. No, you need to add tambourine is what you should do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will do that next time. All right. Terrific. Thanks a lot, Ramsey. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Nick, a uh, very cool interview. If I do say so myself, I thought I was uh, pretty tremendous in it. Um, Ramsey was also very good. Uh, mostly me, I would say the questions that I was asking the, uh, all right, it was mostly Ramsey, very insightful guy. Um, just really made me think a lot. Um, he even turned the tables. I don't know if you noticed that and started, uh, asking me questions, making me think, which is, he does you know, that. As an, yeah, as an interviewer, like you never want to have to think, right? You, of course. you always want to just, just read questions off the page. That's what we do. So, um, very, very cool. Um, the book that I was going to talk about in the intro was the one he mentioned there, Mindset by Carol Dweck, and it's the current book in the book club that he mentioned. So, uh, we'll put a link to the book club, and maybe you can sign up for it and, and participate, uh, hopefully along with us. Uh, and it also reminded me, you know, that we should start a compiled book list that we and our guests recommend here on our podcast over the months and uh, maybe years, you know, as we keep on going. Yeah, I mean, with the thousands of episodes we've released so far, that's going to be tough to go back through them all, John. But we'll give it the old college try and see what we can do. I, I'm, I'm in. You know, I have to say that whenever I hear Ramsey speak and listen to his podcast, I feel like I went back to school. And there's no greater school I'd rather go to than another flavor of the John White School of Mentoring. And I'm sure that if you were to tweet out to at We the Sales Engineers or We the SEs, sorry. You could get some of Ramsey's time, but on this podcast, we pimp out the John White School of Mentoring. And if you're ready to take that next step and learn how to be best supporting interviewer in a podcast like John, 
just send out a tweet to at Nerd Journey, pricing and packaging to come. Now, I do want to make a correction here. In my earlier statement about The Last Samurai, that was not Chow Yun-Fat. That was Ken Watanabe. Sorry about that. At least it's corrected now. Hopefully, I said the guy's name right. Uh, you're going to get so many Twitter uh, Twitter mentions of people coming after you for that mistake. I, I just dread to be you in the next week. But um, that being said, not going to edit it. Not at least they'll think of me, John. That's all I care about. <laughs> right. I, I actually thought I was losing my memory. I was like, Chow Yun Fat was in The Last Samurai? Like, I don't I don't remember him as like a Hong Kong actor in a Japanese movie. Like that that's the the weirdest uh casting. Anyway, um yeah, okay. So at least uh my balance is restored. Um any last thoughts uh before we break here? Just a reminder that we are not movie critics. We're trying to give advice on careers. But we definitely want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as that journey continues. I'm John White, uh, hopefully best supporting podcaster at VJourneyman. For Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios. You know, I said three, two, one, and then I didn't actually. I, I said recording now. Like, I don't, you know, not like three, two, one, go, right? Yeah, well, it works. <laughs> I knew what you were saying. We're on the same page. All right.